Welcome to the program. This is Michael Easley in Context. And it's, you know, I always say it's a privilege and it's fun. It's great. But this is a special interview because this is my good friend, Ralph Weitz. Ralph and I met in 1993, 92 or 93, somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, I was going up to interview at a church in Northern Virginia called Emanuel Bible Church. And Ralph was on staff there as the stewardship pastor. Ralph Weitz is a seminar speaker. He's a retreat speaker. He's an expert in all things Philadelphia. Just ask him if you want to know anything about Philly, including the market and sandwiches and Gettysburg, etc. He's been with Crusade staff for many years where he, let's just say, got a taste for theology and apologetics. And as a result of his experience with Crusade, had lots of training, lots of experience with organization, with administration. And we hooked up when we were in Northern Virginia, Washington, D.C., and became good friends. And Ralph was named by Larry Burkett as the first stewardship pastor in America. And back when Larry Burkett and Howard Dayton were essentially the only two stewardship money voices in the Christian marketplace to be written up in a newsletter that Ralph Weiss was the first stewardship pastor was something else. Ralph served for over 25 years at Emmanuel Bible Church, where he was over all sorts of things we're going to talk about. But to give our listeners who maybe haven't been all a part of these uh, podcasts, I wanted to revisit stewardship because, Ralph, you and I are trafficking at this age with a lot of friends that are trying to figure out what to do next. People come to me all the time, like I got answers, saying, well, what do we do with this chapter of our life? And I thought it would be incumbent to go back and revisit. We've done a stewardship series before, but in this series, we had Ron Blue, the Ron Blue, the financial Ron Blue, a friend from the Cumberland Trust, and I wanted to have Ralph on this series because Ralph influenced me a lot and how I thought about stewardship. I thought I was doing pretty good with stewardship, but Ralph took it to a different notch. First of all, tell folks a little bit about yourself. You go to Stephen F. Austin, you go to Penn State, and you end up a Campus Crusade. What was that story like? Well, raised by a single mom, so I was quite aware of the challenges of finances. And I created the top half of the high school class by being in the bottom half. And from there, went into the two-year program at Penn State and Forestry, and then down to Stephen F. Austin in Texas with five of my peers. And we were introduced to a world-class forester by the name of Dr. Larry Walker, a strong Christian, and um, Grace Bible Church, Campus Crusade for Christ. And God was doing some mighty things in my life. I was planning on going to graduate school to be a professor in forestry because I was so impressed by these men and the Christian men that were doing that. But God had other plans, and I heard Bill Bright speak at Dallas at what was called Senior Panic. And from there, God said, no, I want you to join Campus Crusade for Christ and forget that scholarship, full scholarship that you have, and go to Campus Crusade for Christ, which I joined the summer of 1970, in my first job with Campus Crusade for Christ, because I was working on grounds at Arrowhead Springs, was spreading manure on Bill and Vonette's front lawn. It was exciting to be at the international headquarters because of the things that happened around the world. People would come in literally all over the world to pick up Bill Bright at the airport. It was humbling to be around such godly people and see them make an impact far beyond the reaches I mean, when I was growing up, I traveled three old states, you know, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and New York. That was it. And from there, actually, you know, I'm all the way on the other side of the country, 
and the Jesus revolution is taking place. Chuck Smith is baptizing in the ocean. They're baptizing at the fountain in Berkeley. Uh, Hal Lindsey's doing JC Power and Light, and we Campus Crusade for Christ that summer of 70 saw 600 staff come on, and the total staff was just a little over 2,000. It was an exciting time to be involved. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a little bit like being on a tidal wave. You felt swept along by God's Spirit because from there, after two years, I'm in Arkansas, and I'm seeing the same thing happen. God is just incredibly at work. But the important thing about being on crusade at Arid Springs and right after that was the man, Larry Burkett. He wrote a book, Your Finances in Changing Times. And if you get an original edition with this pale blue cover on it, you'll open it up and it says, Copyright Campus Crusade for Christ. He was on our staff for a brief time. Bill had asked him to come and teach us how to handle our finances. And his bottom line was, you don't pay him enough. And that was good news and bad news. Good news, we're going to get a raise. Bad news, we had to go raise that money. Just, just to understand, Bill's house was a nice bungalow cottage at Arrowhead Springs, and he lived on the same salary as someone else who had two children. Well, Ralph, let me jump ahead. A lot of things we could talk about, not only our time in ministry together, but when did Ralph White's kind of come to terms with what God was doing in your life with your personal stewardship? And I want to talk... First, about finances. We talk about time, talent, and treasure. But specifically, when you were like, okay, I don't get a lot of money. I have to have a support team. I have to raise money. How am I going to be a good right. steward? What's going on in your head and heart when you say, I got to, you got to get organized? Right. Well, marriage tends to do that. <laughs> uh, it's one thing when you're single and you know, you're on your own. And so you're living a little bit paycheck to paycheck. But as a single, I felt I need to be a giver as part of that, mm. not just to my church. But one of the things that God struck me as I was living in Little Rock, Arkansas, was that I need to be giving to the needs around the world, not just within Campus Crusade for Christ, which I did with the money I raised, but I wanted to give because I had no problem having food on the table, and there are people around the world that didn't. So I made a commitment, a lifelong commitment, to give 1% of my income to world hunger and that went to World Relief, which is National Association of Evangelicals. But I was making $250 a month, and I thought it was silly to send a check for $2.50 a month. So every other month, I sent a check for $5. <laughs> and when Katie and I got married, she was from Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and I was from outside of Philadelphia, and North and South kind of met together. But we had to, all of a sudden, you know, you're not communicating with yourself, but you're communicating with your spouse. And you happen to talk things out, which is good, because all of a sudden we're working on more of a plan rather than, okay, I'm going to be okay this month financially, we'll get a, a reimbursement in, all those things. Now we're having to think more in advance. And then when you have your first child and the second child, your finances become much more complex. You have to work those things out. So I think marriage was the important thing for me that helped me work through the finances of it's not just, okay, we're going from paycheck to paycheck, but what are we doing long haul? Most people don't think this way, Ralph. Most people are here and now on credit cards. What was it about you and Katie that said long-term, we got to think about this big picture? For one, it was a mutual commitment with each other. 
and we said, we're not going to have credit card debt. We had credit cards. That was part of the float to be able to reimburse new tires for your car or other expenses that you had to get it back for what your expenses were. Fortunately, both of us were on the same page. Mm. We were both committed to we would do things right and well because we had to think it through if that was helpful. And so as we travel in the summertime, the, the idea of Christmas, we would say, okay, what can we do to think through what do our parents need? Because that's when we were going to see them before Christmas. What do they need that we can get for them starting in July? And so it was helpful. You know, I've counseled enough people to know that husbands and wives often don't agree on, on their finances. It is a lightning rod for their life. And it is where their relationship falls apart. So for Katie and I, we're both fortunate to be able to do that and make sure that we put money aside. We were, want to be givers. We want to be savers. We were saving a lot of money then. It was only a few dollars, and it was more for what is this next major purchase? When is our insurance due? So we've laid out in advance every year, what are the major expenses property taxes and such when mm -hmm. we ended up owning a house. When I first met you at Emanuel, I was coming from a church in Grand Prairie, Texas that we were working. I think we might have been out of debt or real close to getting out of debt. And when we came to Northern Virginia, that church, of course, was in major debt and in a building program to boot. And I didn't know what I didn't know. And I came naively going, we should be out of debt. Why are we going into debt? And I'll spare our, our friends the details of that story. But you, probably the only guy, uh, let's just say, on the same page going, uh, we shouldn't be in all this debt. You had started something there. Again, this was long before Financial Peace University was around. This was Master Your mm -hmm. Money. It was Larry Burkett. Were Crown Bible Studies around early on? Yes. My second year as a stewardship pastor, a friend of ours introduced us to Howard Dayton huh. in his home, and he talked about a three-legged stool. You need to have counseling, you need to have workshops and seminars, and third, you need to have small groups. And I had the first two, counseling and workshops, but my stool fell over because we didn't have small groups, and that was the keystone of Howard Dayton's ministry, Crown Ministries. And that's where we started the Crown Ministries at Emmanuel with small groups. Well, and let me let me inject too, because I do think what you accomplished was historic and God certainly blessed it and used you in a major way to get Emmanuel out of debt. But you had kind of a, I call it a bell curve. And again, correct me and add to it, but you had Master Your Money, Crown, later on, of course, Financial Peace. You had a class on match class, which we'll talk about briefly. You and Katie even put together a workshop on how to save money and coupons and shopping. So you had kind of a bell curve gambit of stewardship across life, not just give to a building program, give to a missionary, yeah. but, but how you are a steward of all. Was that something, was Crown and Dayton the ones that affected your thinking, or did you put this together watching the typical fundraising programs not work? I actually, it came with Campus Crusade for Christ that we needed to be discipled. And you are the one who said, Ralph doesn't see it as a program. He sees it as discipleship. And that's what I saw it as being a comprehensive part of what ministry is all about. If you remember, we also had a ministry festival, a ministry fair, yes. a workbook that had all the different ministries of the church. 
because stewardship is of your whole life, not just your money. It has to be much broader than that. I've, I've shared that story with many pastors and churches. In fact, a friend of mine in town who went through a building program, and I told him about our chicken salad Sundays suppers that we did, so many of those. And the downtown church was the book I had read. I forget the pastor's name who wrote it in Florida, but he was a pastor that stayed downtown when all the churches were fleeing. And part of his system was these multiple dinners. But anyway, the point being, you were, you were I hate the phrase thought leader, but you were ahead of things going, let's don't just have a series of sermons asking for money. Let's teach all of stewardship. And I still remember one of my first Sundays there, probably within the first six months, you had the fishbowl up front and the cut-up credit cards. <laughs> and there was a, a yes. airline pilot who was quite an irascible guy, a red-haired dude. And he was up there giving his testimony. And boy, he was fired up about getting out of debt. <laughs> and I want to say that first fishbowl was about maybe $40,000 the guy had gotten out of debt. But what was significant, he was now debt-free. And I remember the church kind of going, what? I mean, because it was new in those days. Well, and Michael, that was the exciting thing is seeing people move away from debt. And I'd be walking down the hall at a manual and somebody stopped in the hall, stranger to me, they'd been in one of the classes, one of the small groups. And they say, this coming week, we will be out of debt. No more mortgage or anything like that. And I would ask them, how do you feel? Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> and then the next question I would say, and now what are you going to do? Yeah. And he looked at me like, but I thought that was the goal. <laughs> no, that's just part of the stepping stone. And I will say Dave Ramsey has done a good job of what is the next step. Yes. Once you get past the baby steps and we all look alike, we're not going to look alike after that. We're going to look different because God's going to work in our life. Well, and Dave and I have talked many, many times about you and what we did at Emmanuel. And I believe Emmanuel was the first satellite feed that Dave ever did. And we did a all day, it was a Friday and all day Saturday seminar, kind of a miniature FPU. And we drug Hannah, who is my executive producer. She was a teenager, very reluctantly sat between her mother and me in the balcony at Emmanuel <laughs> watching Dave Ramsey on video, very disinterested. And when he said, you know, if you start an IRA or a 401 when you're 18, you'll have a million dollars when you're 65. And she looked at her mother and she said, can I start one of those? <laughs> <laughs> so it got her attention and we were ever grateful. But um, from some of the personal stories, let's move forward. Because one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about was what have you seen church-wide? Because you've counseled lots of individuals, but you've also talked to churches over the years about their stewardship programs, about discipleship, about the whole of the Christian life being a steward. And I don't like the cliche, time, talent, and treasure, but it does communicate. Yeah. What have you seen that's changed in the way churches view this and, Ralph, the way Christians view debt and their stewardship? Well, I was doing a consultation with a church in Northern Virginia, and and one of the first questions I asked them, because they asked me to come in and work with them on the idea of stewardship. And I said, now tell me why you want to start a stewardship program. And their answer was, because we need more money. And I go, wrong answer. Yep. And you know, I'm not usually a very direct person on that kind of thing. It sounds <laughs> confrontational. Well, that's interesting. But I yeah. said, 
what you need to be looking at is this is stewardship as discipleship. You're going to disciple people in their Christian walk. And part of that is their management of their, not just their money, that's an important part of it, but also what they have. You know, we, we had a fellow by the name of Ed Britton at Emmanuel. Yes. And he had this lake house. And that lake house got used so many times because of his good stewardship of that. The, not just the pastors of Emmanuel, but small groups. I took my small groups there, but the Fellowship Christian Athletes would be there. He saw that as his blessing to minister to other people in incredible ways. That's what stewardship is really all about. And I think that's what people are having a hard time sometimes capture is uh, when we talk about stewardship, they immediately think of their wallet. And yes, that's part of it. Not a small part, but it is not the only part. It needs to be more of our life. What do we do with what God's given us to bless others? You've had a, a remarkable ministry and example to me. Uh, we, we've talked about this a lot. I, I don't want to betray too much, but I remember at one point you were very reticent, but you told me an age that you and Katie were going to be completely debt-free, including your mortgage. I, my jaw dropped. I mean, I knew you and Katie were very good stewards, careful with your money, your finances. You were both were always up to your neck in ministry and helping other people. But it, the, the number was what shocked me was, wait a minute, you're going to have your house paid off by what? And I promptly went home and told Cindy, hey, Ralph and Katie are going to have their house paid off in such and such. <laughs> and typical Cindy Easley was like, hmm, we could probably do that too. You know, <laughs> She was always, uh, and you said this early on about Katie, and you and I know enough people, it's rare to have a life partner that you both agree on finances. And that's a gift of right. God when a husband and wife want to give, want to save, want to get rid of debt. Now, certainly... One will be a little bit more of a spender and a saver, sure. But in general, are you on the same page? And, and I would say very clearly to all our friends, that's a matter of prayer and even getting some counseling. You need to be on the same page. I'm so thrilled to hear Rachel Cruz, Dave's daughter, who's got such a yep. huge platform today, talk about our checkbook. And she's like <laughs> anti you know, his and her checkbook, which I'm so glad that she's adamant about that because today – more it seems more than when we were in ministry there at least Ralph the the separate lives separate income separate jobs it works against the marriage but that being said um you infected Cindy and me we, we knew we were going to get out of debt one day but pay off the mortgage and I still remember when we sat down and she was always the one to run to the spreadsheet so to speak and she said, you realize if we pay the house off, this is how much money we will save in interest payments? <laughs> and that gets you motivated because you think not only about the money, but what you could do for ministry and what other things you could you spend it on that are good, even a vacation. I mean, it's not like it has to be all, you know, sacrificial, yep. but to enjoy the stuff of life. So all that prattling to say, have you seen in the last, say, 10, 20 years, that changed not only among people, but among church mindsets. Because where I traffic with younger people, they don't have these same ideas about money and stewardship and time, Ralph. Obviously, a new generation's come along, and they're thinking on being responsible. I work three days a week at an assisted living facility. I'm older than some of the people that 
<laughs> or residents there. And it is hard to find folks that are wanting to be responsible and thinking about the long haul. They are not looking at a career. We just had one of our staff become a certified nurse's assistant, and I had this conversation with her. It's a lot better than having a job, isn't it? It's a career. She says, you know, when I went through the classes, that's what they said. You're now on a career. It's a need for that. I, I want to go back, Michael, to we were talking about getting out of debt. When I became stewardship pastor at Emanuel, my first computer was held together with some duct tape. It was early days. We didn't have all this wonderful stuff that sits on our table. I went to a place that could run off a program for me, and it would be $100,000 of mortgage. And if I paid $50 uh, a month and $100 a month, and I wanted to see every payment, which came out on this tractor paper, yeah. and I realized it was going to take a long time <laughs> to just to get even with, with interest and principal. But if I put that $100 towards it, it was, wow, what a difference it would make. And I brought it home, and I'm going through all these pages with Katie. Well, one of the things that we did, we did, we were very scientific about it, but we rolled over our money from each house. We only had two houses before the house we lived in at, at Emanuel. But we took, instead of doing the next payment level of $100 up, $50 up, right. if our, and our payments were much lower than people are today, say they're $2,025. Instead of rounding it up to $2,100, we rounded up to $2,200. So we're putting in, on average, maybe $150 an extra month, and we paid off our mortgage in 13 years. And our goal was, you alluded to this, at age 55. You know, my wife's a realtor, and one of the things she learned was you're sometimes better off paying an extra payment at the end of the year. Sometimes you're even better splitting your mortgage into two payments versus one. There's all sorts of things you have to take yep. into account depending upon your, your loan, who owns your mortgage, how they add up the interest, so to speak, and paying down principal versus paying interest. And those are questions, frankly, most people don't understand the ramifications of those. Just like they don't understand you should never use your HSA card unless you can't pay for something. You know, that money should be invested. And that's one of the things we learned through financial planners was there, there are lots of ways to be a steward of the money God gives you. And it's not just about getting out of debt simply, but looking at a whole bunch of factors. And that's why we need people like Ralph Weitz's and people like financial planners and trust folks to help us understand the provisions of the law that we should take advantage of. Let's talk about giving. You said you gave 1% to world hunger, and I've also seen you collect aluminum cans and give that money away for years, and, and we all shake our heads and laugh, but we love that Ralph cares about that and takes it so seriously. What can people do to reframe their thinking in small ways and in large ways about increasing their giving? Always when you have finances, you just don't answer the question in its isolation. Okay. It's got to be in the bigger picture, being a good steward of all that I have. And, and let's just talk financially. All that I have financially, how am I planning that? And then what am I doing to what does God call me to be as a giver? And some people are very good at this. They're not just giving money, which is a good thing to be doing for all the organizations, but also how they give to their neighbors, whether it is 
mowing their lawn for them while they're gone or taking them a gift. But we need to be involved in being, if you will, Christ-like, giving away so much of what we have. So I did this for my mother. As you know, I made a lot of trips to Pennsylvania to take care of her. And whenever I got scrap metal, a lot of it off of her property and, and other places, I would sell it. And it was pretty good income because back then the scrap metal market was really doing well. But today, since my mother passed away, I continue to do that and picking up stuff along the side of the road. The local uh, thrift store gives me their metal that they can't use in the thrift store, et cetera. But what I've done with that money was it cannot be for my personal use and it cannot go to some place that will give me a receipt. It has to go someplace where it's going to bless somebody. So I'll be meeting with three men later this week and I'll be giving them uh, Battlefields and Blessings. I don't know if you remember sure. that book by Jane Cook. Well, I'll give them uh, a copy of that. That's where I bought that from that money. Let me ask you also about your daughters, because you've got two daughters. They're married. How is a dad who's a pastor? I mean, you and I both got PKs, right? Our kids, bless their hearts. Did you instill in them the values of stewardship of all their life? Was it a fight because that was dad's job and dad's rules? Or or now can you look at them and say, you know, in God's kindness, they're, they're doing pretty well in these areas. Well, I would say in God's kindness, doing very well. And one of the things that we wanted to make sure our kids were doing were enjoying things of life, not with opulence or any extra stuff, but that they would be enjoying these sportsy activities and doing fun things together. In other words, yes, we would need to be givers, and we would talk about that. When our kids were growing up, that 1%, how do we communicate that to our kids, that we're giving 1% to world hunger? And so we took care of the education for a young student in India, and that picture sat on our kitchen table, and we would talk about we're giving money to this student halfway around the world in India. So that's what we're committed to. And what happened was the student graduated and we had to get another student and we have a different picture on the table so their kids would see a visual. It's one thing to tell your kids you're giving some money writing a check. What does that mean to them? But when they see a student that's different than them, but they understand education. And so... They caught that picture of being a blessing to other people. And they would be involved in ministry, obviously, at the church and being givers. And they would see us as doing it as a part of our lifestyle, not just, okay, here are the rules. It's got to be interesting, too, as you've watched these friendships for decades now, some couples that stand out in your own experience, to people that caught a vision for stewardship of time, talent, and treasure, and who have excelled and really stand out as, boy, they did a great job, and it was neat to see how God used these Bible studies, these classes, these workshops, and they really got their life going in a creative and powerful way. For sure, for sure. You know, the individuals, the men that were small group leaders in Financial Peace University— were always outstanding in uh, that examples. I would say at the end of Financial Peace University, Dave and Doug, we have not arrived. We have not gotten to what we want to do. 
But we're on the same journey with you. We just might happen to be a little bit further down the road, but we are still journeying down this road with our Lord of what stewardship really looks like in our lives. And we're working on it on a regular basis, just like we're asking you to. When you look back on all these years of, you know, probably more like 40, if you add it all together with Crusade and even what you're doing today in your local church, some real highlights and definitive moments for you as, again, specifically where you saw people catch a vision. Well, Michael, I was field administrator with Campus Crusade for Christ for 12 years. There were only a couple of us that had lasted that long as field administrators, ministering to staff, as well as setting up conferences and a lot of other stuff that we were responsible for. But I'd put together a questionnaire to ask staff when I would visit a campus. You know, they understood when a director came, but what's an administrator meeting with me for? And obviously, I would talk to them about their support and all that, but I had a questionnaire that I asked them to fill out before I'd meet with them. And one of the questions on there was, do you balance your checkbook? Mm. And I was at Towson State University in Baltimore, and we were sitting in a, in a kind of a cafeteria setting. We were working through this, and we got to that question. And I looked up at the staff member. She was young, and she was crying. And I thought, okay, I did it again. <laughs> but uh, I said, what is wrong? She said, I didn't think anybody cared. Mm. And I said, let me assure you, that's what administrators do. We care about the financial part of your life, raising support, but also how you're doing at managing your money that you have. It's so important to engage people's lives one of the things that I coined when I was at Emmanuel was when you deal with individuals' finances, you have a window into their mm -hmm. soul, and it's a trust relationship. You've got to work at what you're sharing. First of all, nobody else will know it right. at all. It's just you and that person, and you are there not to be this negative admonition to do something the different way but you're there to walk alongside them. And that's what we need to do is we need to walk alongside people to help them to grow in their managing their finances. And the place where I work, I've kind of alluded to this earlier about the woman who got a CNA. I've challenged three of our staff that they should be considering college. Here I'm the, the old guy in his 70s talking to 20-year-olds but I'm talking about the importance of not having a job, but having a career because, you know, I'm looking at it as God's stewardship. They might not be at that point yet, but uh, I think that's important for people to understand. You know, it's, it's encouraging to me, and you know this, we've talked about this before, you have no idea how much you encourage me personally, but it's, you know, I'm 66, you're, you're a bit ahead of me. Ralph, I just see so many of our peer, either they stay working, which is fine, you know, a lot of us at this chapter command pretty good salaries, and they stay in their job, and they keep doing it. I have a friend of mine who just retired as a doctor. He's in his 70s, and until last year, he said, why would I quit? I love what I do. Yeah. I get that, but then if we retire and watch Netflix all day, that's not a good option. And then we say give back to the community, which um, I think is sort of a fallacious piece of reasoning why don't you just keep doing what you're doing as opposed to give back? But you've chosen an interesting tact 
to serve at a place where you don't really need to, but it's it's an outlet for ministry for you, for caring for people, for sharing Christ, even with you know some of the folks that you work around and with. Again, how would you encourage you know guys like me, those of us in our sixties? They they don't have that purpose, Ralph. They don't really see. I mean, I don't want to just play golf and travel and visit grandkids, which is great, but that's not all there. Is. We didn't work all these years just to be a traveling, you know, golf playing grandparent and friend. And we, you and I have friends that are yeah. doing that. And fortunately, where I'm working, I got a lot of flexibility in my scheduling. And that's the nice thing about when you're at this age, you're working part-time, you have that flexibility to do other things. But also, you know, it keeps you... Let me back up. When we came to Charlotte, right before the pandemic hit, four months before, and then the pandemic hit, we were going to church before the pandemic hit and on Sunday, but that was the only thing scheduled. We had Wednesday night. They had some dinners and Bible studies there for Wednesday night. We were going to that. But the biggest challenge we had was, uh, what day of the week is it? Mm. It, we, we, it was amazing. I mean, both of us would ask that question. <laughs> and the idea of work gives you certain routines, gives you certain opportunities to make an impact in people's lives. It keeps us out there. I have a friend, I go, what are you doing with your time? Well, watching Netflix, as you said, Michael, and he's working in his garden, and that's it. And Katie and I have talked about, well, how do I, that is Ralph, initiate something that will be beneficial to him and have an impact in his life? I'm still working on how do I do that? Well, and you've always been good at that. I mean, uh, I find it book in theology, you're spreading mulch at crew headquarters and you're <laughs> spreading mulch for widows and people that have a hard time keeping up with their yards as long as I've known you. Ralph Weitz is my dear friend. He's a seminar and retreat speaker. He also, by the way, leads spiritual tours to Philadelphia, Valley Forge, Lancaster, Gettysburg, and other areas. And he can do those in a day or a couple of days. And in the show notes, we'll have information about how you can contact me at in context, and I'll forward that information to Ralph Weitz. But if you'd love someone to take you and a small group of friends or a busload, spend the day in Philly, go to Gettysburg. He's your guy. He'll bring not only the history of it, but the spiritual history of these men and women, some of whom were fine Christians, some of whom might have been a little bit confused, but Ralph can tell you those stories in great detail. Ralph, it's a privilege to call you my brother and friend, and I hope God continues to give you energy, and he's using you, and I'm just excited to watch you from the sidelines to see how he uses you and Katie at this chapter of life. Did you know that In Context is fully funded by our listeners like you? If you are a regular listener, would you consider giving a one-time or perhaps monthly donation? You can give at michaelincontext.com. In Context is produced by Hannah Seymour, mixed and mastered by Sonamorphic, and music composed by Tycho and Blair Masters.